This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 28 of the 60-day legislative session. This is the fifth week of the nine-week session, and Wednesday is the midpoint, the ultimate hump day for state lawmakers. The big issue this week is the budget as the House and Senate Appropriations Committees take up their respective spending plans. Right now, they're about $2 billion apart. Another big change in vaccination policy. As of today, all Floridians ages 40 and up can get COVID-19 vaccinations. One week from now, the age drops to 16 or 18, depending on which vaccine you get. A bill limiting lawsuits over COVID-19 passes the House and is on its way to the governor for his signature. The future of Florida depends on the ability of our businesses and health care providers to stay in business and to provide care for all of us, for all Floridians in our state. We're saying that negligence from healthcare providers is okay. It's not okay. The representatives also passed House Bill 1, the governor's bill to make it easier to arrest protesters that was inspired by the Black Lives Matter demonstrations last summer. Floridians cannot and will not tolerate, tolerate coercion or mob rule. Wanton violence cannot build a better society. How do you manage to violate the same portion of the Bill of Rights twice in one bill? I think I have a more accurate name for this bill than the one it's been granted. The Bull Connor Memorial Act. Democrats in the Florida Senate want the Justice Department to investigate the case of a former state lawmaker accused of running a sham candidate in the South Florida Senate race in order to flip the seat for the GOP. A letter on behalf of the Senate Democratic Caucus uh, was sent to Attorney General Merrick Garland. This letter calls for a federal investigation into the illegal activity perpetrated by former Senator Frank Artilles and his co-conspirators in Senate District 37 and elsewhere. Florida's unemployment rate was down last month, but not by much. Florida's February 2021 unemployment rate was 0.1 percentage point lower than the revised January 2021 rate. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the stories of two Florida men. One is accused of shooting an air rifle at women who were picnicking on the beach and using a bullhorn to call them the N-word. The other was shot in the ass after breaking into a Motel 6 at 3 a.m. But first, let's pay some bills. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, March 29th. This is National Vietnam War Veterans Day, National Mom and Pop Business Owners Day, and National Smoke and Mirrors Day. On this date in 1951, Americans Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were convicted and sentenced to death for conspiracy to commit espionage for the Soviet Union. In 1971, Lieutenant William Calley was found guilty in the My Lai Massacre. In 1978, eight Ohio National Guardsmen were indicted for killing four students at Kent State. And one year ago today, Anthony Fauci warned that America may see as many as 100 to 200,000 deaths from COVID-19. Our current total is almost 550,000. That includes 33,819 fatalities in Florida. 36 new names were added to that count Sunday, and the health department reported almost 5,000 new cases of the disease. Over the past week, the state reported almost 36,000 new cases and 436 more deaths. 
The bill granting businesses and healthcare companies protection from COVID liability lawsuits clears the legislature and is headed to the governor for his signature. Representative Colleen Burton of Lakeland says Senate Bill 72 protects the healthcare heroes who put their lives on the line. I think often, and I know many of you do, about healthcare providers across Florida who put themselves, and not just themselves, but their families' health on the line each and every day that they went to work to take care of all of us. They were the folks who, because of COVID precautions, were in hospitals, standing with very ill patients, and oftentimes, to the tens of thousands of times here in the state of Florida, standing next to the bedside of somebody who passed away, who was dying because of COVID, whose family members could not be there because of the COVID precautions that that healthcare institution had in place. Examples are numerous of good people doing everything they knew to protect others while standards changed as science advanced and we all knew more about COVID and our our, our understanding of COVID-19 grew. Senate Bill 72 provides limited liability protection to those entities in Florida that tried day after day to do what they were told they needed to do. Senate Bill 72 protects Floridians from those who willfully disregarded such guidance. The future of Florida depends on the ability of our businesses and healthcare providers to stay in business and to provide care for all of us, for all Floridians in our state. But Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando says that liability shield will also protect nursing homes that fail to protect their own residents. We're saying that negligence from healthcare providers is okay. It's not okay. I understand the anxiety around being sued for screwing up, but that is a healthy anxiety. It's a healthy anxiety that motivates our healthcare providers to do it right. Approximately 35% of COVID deaths in Florida are from staff and residents of long-term care facilities. That is 10,496 people. So if a long-term care provider was negligent in any one of their deaths, we're saying with this legislation, let's protect them from litigation. Let's protect them from accountability. I don't think that we should be doing this. Representative Ralph Masula was a dermatologist in real life, and he says healthcare workers need this bill because the rules kept changing during the COVID crisis. We didn't know what the standard of care was for treating COVID. And basically, we still don't. We have good ideas, but when, when we look at the guidance that we were get, given from the CDC and the World Health Organization, there was a lot of ambiguity, particularly in the early stages. The system continues to be ever-changing. And it's important that we recognize the fact that those people that are out there, those people that we consider our healthcare heroes, do so at their own risk. Don't mistake this bill to protect businesses, hospitals, and nursing homes. 
Those are businesses. There's people behind those businesses that it's very important for us to realize that they take risks each and every day. Representative Anna Eskimani of Orlando is all in favor of protecting the healthcare heroes, but she says the bill only protects the companies that employ them and does nothing for individual workers. I have a lot of concern with the continued lack of focus in supporting small businesses who are struggling throughout this pandemic and, of course, Florida's workers as well. Uh, We have not picked up any type of legislation in this body to actually improve or fix the unemployment system, which, as I sit here listening to the debate, my phone and my email continues to be flooded with people facing the broken unemployment system. Thank goodness the federal government stepped in to deliver resources for our small businesses because Florida failed to deliver on small businesses. And yet here we stand looking to protect, in my perspective, corporations more than people. I'm very concerned that making it much more difficult to seek some sort of judicial pathway of justice to be compensated for the loss of life or damages is not going to be in the best interest of Florida's workers. The final vote in the House was 83 to 31. The Florida House also approved a controversial bill inspired by the Black Lives Matter demonstrations after George Floyd was suffocated by a cop last summer. To Republicans like Representative Cord Byrd of Neptune Beach, House Bill 1 is the anti-riot bill. Wanton violence cannot build a better society. Disruption and disorder nourish repression, not justice. They strike at the freedom of every citizen. Floridians cannot and will not tolerate, tolerate coercion or mob rule. The Constitution protects sometimes repugnant speech of the minority, not just the popular speech of the majority, but it does not protect violence. Freedom of speech is under assault. Speech is threatened on university campuses, in the military, by big tech and big media. But one place it is not under assault is in the Florida House and in House Bill 1. Dr. Seuss may have been canceled, but the Constitution is not, not yet. We recognize that the freedoms to speak and a symbol, which are enshrined in the First Amendment, are of the utmost importance in maintaining a truly free society. Nevertheless, it would be cavalier to assert that the government and its citizens cannot act, but must sit quietly and wait until they are actually physically injured or have had their property destroyed by those who are trying to perpetrate or cause the perpetration of those violent outrages against them. Of course, the government cannot act to avert a perceived danger too soon, but it can act before it is too late. We can act before it's too late. We do not need to have Miami or Orlando or Jacksonville become Kenosha or Seattle or Portland. We have the ability under House Bill 1 to act now to say you can peaceably assemble in Florida, you can exercise your right to, to speech and to protest peaceably, but you cannot ig- commit acts of violence. You cannot harm other people. You cannot destroy their property. You cannot destroy their lives. And I ask for your favorable support of House Bill 1. But to Democrats like Representative Evan Jenny Broward, this is an anti-protest bill and does nothing to address the behavior that inspired those demonstrations. Following the murder of Mr. Floyd, roughly 50 significant protests took place across our state. These were attended by tens of thousands of peaceful Floridians. Now, I will readily admit that there were bad actors who did bad things at some protests. And so I'm not misunderstood. There were criminal acts that should be prosecuted under the current set of statutes. However, there was an equal, if not greater, amount of violence perpetrated against peaceful protesters. A hit-and-run driver in Daytona. A truck driving through a crowd just two blocks from where we currently stand. 
protesters kicked and punched in my home county of Broward. A man was assaulted in Miami by two individuals because he had the audacity to play a recording of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. And that's to say nothing about the countless rubber bullets and tear gas canisters deployed against them. HB1 is being perceived not just by me, but by millions and millions of Floridians, Democrats and Republicans. It is being perceived as an unjust, direct response to tens of thousands of Floridians peaceably assembled, Floridians of every race, creed, and color. They were there to demand societal justice, not just for George Floyd in the eight minutes and 46 seconds of torture he endured, but for an entire nationwide community. A community that stood up and said, enough is enough. A community that stood tall and said, our lives have meaning. Our lives have dignity and purpose. Our lives matter. It is being perceived as the embodiment of a cruel, unjust legislative pushback. A direct response. This bill seems to say, we don't care. Yes, we heard you, but in response, we will be even more draconian. How can you view the outrage, the trauma, the tears, the anger, the prayers, the voices of millions, the eight minutes and 46 seconds of video, George Floyd slowly being asphyxiated to death, all while addressing his eventual murderer as sir? As human beings, how can you not ask why? How can I help? How can I help bring about some sort of positive change? Where's the caring, the empathy, the humanity? because it's not in this bill. You know that millions and millions of Floridians are against this bill, and yet you choose to ram it down their throats. This bill reads like it's intentionally designed to foment divisiveness. The First Amendment, whatever. And disagree all you want, but this bill curtails the right to free speech. It also violates the right to peaceably assemble. A dubious daily double if there ever was. I mean... How do you manage to violate the same portion of the Bill of Rights twice in one bill? But I think I have a more accurate name for this bill than the one it's been granted. The Bull Connor Memorial Act. Whatever you call it, HB1 passed the House on a vote of 76 to 39. It faces an uncertain fate in the Senate, which seems a bit more concerned with policing policies than the House. One other note from this debate, after Representative Jenny's impassioned speech about George Floyd and Bull Connor, the House interrupted debate so Representative Jason Schoaf could honor a softball team from the panhandle that wasn't even there. Last August, members, the Alpha Ponytails won the Dixie Youth Softball World Series title. This is the first time a Florida team has won since 2012. I'm so proud of their accomplishments and how well they have represented their community. Members, today, due to COVID protocols, the team could not join us, but they are at home watching us, and so I would ask that you join me in congratulating uh, the 2020 Dixie Youth Baseball or Softball Champions. A friendly suggestion for House leadership? The next time you want to honor a team from the Dixie League, maybe interrupt something other than a civil rights bill. Democrats in the Florida Senate are asking the Justice Department to launch an investigation into the case of a former South Florida lawmaker accused of running a sham candidate last year in the race for Senate District 37, where incumbent Jose Javier Rodriguez lost by 32 votes. Charges have already been filed by the state attorney in Miami-Dade, but Senator Gary Farmer of Broward says that is not enough. A letter on behalf of the Senate Democratic Caucus uh, was sent to Attorney General Merrick Garland. This letter calls for a federal investigation into the illegal activity 
perpetrated by former Senator Frank Artilles and his co-conspirators in Senate District 37 and elsewhere. We believe that there is significant evidence that the criminal activity crossed state lines and therefore violated federal laws, including federal tax laws. As such, we believe it is appropriate that the feds get involved. And so we have called on the United States Attorney General to look into these very serious allegations. In addition to this call for federal investigation, I have asked Senate President Wilton Simpson to appoint a select committee with the purpose of investigating this issue as well. The Florida Constitution charges each legislative body with adjudicating the elections and qualifications of its members. Therefore, I believe that given the charges filed down in Miami related to the illegal acts which occurred in the elections process of our state senators, we are obligated to seek out the facts, all of the facts. I am committed to finding the truth and providing people of Senate District 37 with the justice they deserve. And I ask President Simpson to make that same commitment with me. These allegations and the facts revealed in the Artillery's affidavit and arrest warrant go to the very heart of our electoral process, and they undermine the very integrity of our elections. We cannot sit by and let this go without a full investigation. So how does this case merit attention from the feds? Well, Farmer says it's all about the money. The monies that have been traced thus far go back to a 501c4 organization that's registered in Delaware. The organization is called Proclivity. We also saw that the address used for Proclivity is a, a UPS mailbox in Atlanta, Georgia. So we've got already evidence of interstate commerce and cross-line activities, cross-state line activities, as well as implication of the federal law 501C. So we believe this is clearly a matter where uh, the federal government would have jurisdiction and the Justice Department would have uh, jurisdiction. And they are the department in our federal government charged with investigating things like election fraud or election manipulation and violation of our tax code. Listen, the bottom line here is follow the money. This is, I've said it before, this is a deep throat moment. Follow the money. Artilles didn't get this money in a vacuum. By the way, that request for a Senate investigation was rejected by the Senate president before Farmer even finished speaking. Florida's jobless rate was down last month, but only by one-tenth of a percentage point. Adrian Johnston is the chief economist at the Department of Economic Opportunity. That's Florida's official unemployment agency. Florida's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in February 2021 was 4.7%. This represented 474,000 jobless individuals out of a labor force of 10,124,000. Florida's February 2021 unemployment rate was 0.1 percentage point lower than the revised January 2021 rate and up 1.4 percentage points from the February 2020 rate. Osceola County had the highest unemployment rate of 8.8%, followed by Miami-Dade County with 7.9%. Wakulla County had the state's lowest unemployment rate with 2.6%, followed by DeSoto, Lafayette, and St. John's counties at 2.8% each. 14 out of the 24 metro areas in Florida had over-the-month job gains. The Orlando, Kissimmee, Sanford metro area gained the most jobs with 7,500, and Panama City grew the fastest with a rate of 0.7%. Other metro areas with notable job growth were the Tampa-St. Petersburg-Clearwater MSA, 
with 4,600 jobs, and the Fort Lauderdale, Pompano Beach, Deerfield Beach metro area with 3,800 jobs. The state's unemployment rate is still higher than it was a year ago at the start of the COVID crisis, but not by much, and it's significantly lower than the national average. Up next, two Florida Man stories and your calendar of events on the Sunrise Podcast. We'll be right back. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to your Sunrise Calendar. The Florida Public Service Commission Nominating Council meets online at 10 to consider candidates to fill an opening on the PSC, which regulates utilities in Florida. And when I say regulate, that's rather charitable. Critics will tell you it's more like a rubber stamp. At 10.15, the House Health Care Appropriations Subcommittee takes up a bill making wide-ranging changes in the state's child welfare system. Representatives of numerous groups take part in an online event at 11. They'll be opposing legislation that they say attacks transgender and LGBTQ kids. At 1, the House Education and Employment Committee takes up a bill that creates a public records exemption for information about people who apply to become presidents of state colleges and universities. Also at 1, the House Judiciary Committee takes up a plan to abolish the Constitution Revision Commission. The Senate has already approved it. At 3.30, the Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee hears a bill to raise the maximum state unemployment benefits to $375 a week. The current max is $275, which is one of the lowest in the nation. The Senate Environment and Natural Resources Committee meets at 3.30. They'll hear from the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission about the rising death toll for manatees. And at 4.15, the House Commerce Committee takes up a bill to expand the collection of sales taxes to goods that are sold online. House and Senate leaders plan to use the extra money to shore up the state's unemployment compensation system, which basically amounts to a $4 billion tax break for business at the expense of consumers. Authorities are searching for the Florida man who took one in the butt while breaking into a Motel 6 in Daytona Beach. Volusia County deputies say a man and woman tried to get into the room at 3 in the morning on Saturday, but the person inside was armed and opened fire, hitting the guy's butt cheeks. The suspects escaped, but deputies posted their pictures from surveillance cameras on social media in hopes of finding someone who will recognize them. And finally today, a Florida man is accused of harassing and assaulting a group of young black women at the Clam Bayou Nature Preserve. They say Joshua Rousseau of St. Petersburg interrupted their picnic, called them bitches and niggers, and threatened to kill them. Then, after he boarded the sailboat where he lives, the women say he began yelling over a bullhorn and shooting at them with an air rifle, and continued firing even after police arrived. He's charged with multiple counts of aggravated assault, including aggravated assault on a police officer. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 